A few notes before we begin. This podcast includes conversations about the harms of colonization, including discussions of the residential school system, the ongoing discovery of unmarked gravesites, the African slave trade, and slavery. It also includes conversations about the history and current-day impacts of racism on the health of Black and Indigenous communities and individuals. Please, listen with care and care for yourself while listening. Additionally, please note that we're eager to showcase the experience, expertise, and wisdom of hosts, but also note and remember that their views and ideas may not always align with or reflect the views, policies, and governance of the Ontario AIDS Network. Welcome to Bundles of Medicine, a bold and brave learning tool that was created by Dr. Roberta Timothy and January Yurksa in collaboration with the Ontario AIDS Network. For context, what follows is primarily a resource for individuals and teams working and volunteering within Ontario's community-based HIV sector. It includes several broadcast discussions and a workbook to guide individuals and groups through a process of reflection and learning. To be clear, Bundles of Medicine is a response to our sector's need to create space, support, and deepen the work that aid service organizations across Ontario are doing to address and navigate anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism. Before we get re-engaged, a quick word on the preceding voices and authors of this effort. January Yurksa, MSW, MA, is Anishinaabe from Kochiching, First Nation, in Treaty No. 3 territory. Among other things, she's an advocate, educator, writer, and poet whose work is grounded in Indigenous feminism and decolonial frameworks. Dr. Roberto Timothy is an assistant professor at the teaching stream at the Dalalana School of Public Health, University of Toronto. Dr. Timothy is the inaugural director of U of T's Masters of Public Health in Black Health degree program launching in the fall of 2023. Throughout her decorated career in research, teaching, and advocacy, Dr. Timothy has been linked to Black transnational communities. All right. Good morning, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Roberta. Ah, oh, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you too. It's been a time. It's been a time, but this is the reality. I think of um, we look think about Black and Indigenous lives, and you know we're talking about resistance and leadership and all of these things. And I think our own lives also um, echo what happens in our communities, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so I'm I'm really looking forward to our discussion today, uh, looking at uh, leadership within the HIV movement from our communities, yeah. and uh, talking about what resistance looks like and allyship and uh, where to go from there. Yep, it's going to be a good one. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I've been really thinking deeply about. Um, what leadership 
in the HIV movement looks like from, from the Indigenous community. Right. And um, when I think about that, I'm, I'm always so deeply inspired, you know, um, because the, the leadership is significant for everybody. Yes. For everybody. Um, yeah, in Indigenous leaders in the movement really um, are strongholds for carrying Indigenous knowledges, carrying decolonial knowledges. Um, how to uh, continue to build meaningful alliances, their advocacy work, their activism, community development approaches, mm -hmm. um, Indigenous feminisms, like they have been doing all this work even before it was called these things right. that the rest of these areas are trying to catch up on. And that's what I find so like fascinating, inspiring, especially when, you know, when, when you talk about like how things are mirrored in our lives and you look at like how, um, how people from our communities carry and, and work is like, I, I, I was trying to think like, what is a better term than work? Right. Um, because yes, it's work. It's also like, love and yet it's also absolutely necessary for survival yeah right so i i don't know what we would call it beyond work but those are some of the things i start to think about i think that i mean a lot of there's a lot of kind of echoing um in terms of you know what's what happened or what's happening in the in the black or african identified community in terms of leadership mm -hmm. and i think that there's like formal leadership you know within the hiv sector or the h or the movement and there's also informal and yes. we often we often talk about the formal um but not necessarily the informal so i think it's important to talk about both because i think leadership is something that is um individual and collective you know within within the black community at least and i think um, I want to like locate myself within within the movement in terms of, you know, coming to in in 1988 in when I was a very young teenager, um, you know, coming to Black Cap and and being a part of um, Black Cap and participating. I remember we, the first time I went to a, it was a, a picnic in High Park, and um, you know it was um, I was already very active within the Black community and, and against anti-Black racism. And if I think if you look at HIV leadership in the Black community, it was Black folks who were already involved in, you know, um, trying to dismantle anti-Black racism, trying to fight um, homophobia, trying to fight sexism, um, trying to deal with colonialism in different ways. So it was a natural, quote unquote, like fit to then yes. do, you know, um, HIV resistance work in terms of stigma and also um, access and resources. And I think when we think about, you know, 1981, was like the first quote unquote, and that that's debatable, but the first uh, case of um, HIV was, you know, said to be a Haitian woman in Quebec. And in 1981, there was such a, that was like the beginnings. Well, it started in 1979 when Albert Johnson was killed um, by uh, the police, right? And there was a lot of um, protests in the black community and even the SIU unit. The, the reason that we have it comes from those 
those protests within the black community. So the black, um, you know, black community were then being deal dealt with, um, you know, increasing numbers of HIV, people living with HIV and, and in an anti-black racist world. So a lot of the, the leadership were folks who were in the community who were already a part of, um, you know, resisting different types of violence against black people's lives. So when when HIV became in the 80s became something that was really, um, you know, larger numbers of, of black people were being impacted. It was kind of like, you know, if you look at the, the black gay community, the black lesbian community and and folks who were doing what I would say emancipatory or decolonizing work were a part of that that movement and, and advocated right and uh, to get to, to get resources and to make changes. So I, I say black black cap is really important to understand as a formal a formal a now formal organization, but came out of a grassroots place and space and came out of kind of a history of um, you know the launch of the Black Age Project, which was launched the AIDS Committee of Toronto, and um, you know the Black Coalition for AIDS Prevention Steering Committee, which was formed. And if you look at the the first leaders within the formal kind of uh, informal formal sector was uh, you know Douglas, Douglas Stewart was the first ED of Black Cap, and then uh, Dion Faulkner was the, the following. And then we have APA, right? And um, this is this is more I'm talking about more formal, but the Africans in Partnership Against AIDS, which is basically kind of began in 1993, even though it was it was formally established in 2000. And that was a community response for, for services for folks living with HIV um, of African ancestry. Um, and then we have ACHO, African Caribbean Council on HIV AIDS in Ontario, 2005. And it provided leadership in response to HIV AIDS in African Caribbean and Black communities in Ontario. And there's other, there's other um, organizations in Canada that also you know, um, have stepped up, but Ontario was one of the biggest populations. So leadership was um, formalized into organizations and leadership was also in terms of folks doing, um, doing supporting, supporting each other. You know, so when people were um, needing childcare, when people were, um, when new, new, new newcomers were coming to the country and, and dealing with, um, you know, not having resources and, and living with, with um, sometimes newly diagnosed, of, uh, diagnosed with HIV, there was a community that came in different ways and supported people with housing, with food, with um, mental health supports. And that was really informal because there was not enough services to provide that were providing services that supported black folks lives, right? And African people's lives. And that had to do directly with anti-black racism. So the leadership came up with the result of uh, fighting uh, different types of anti-black racism and intersectional violence within our community. And there's many names that people will never know in terms of the community who supported each other with, you know, um, if it's cooking a meal, if it's um, taking care of a child, if it's um, supporting somebody in their last, you know, the last days, particularly in the, in the 80s and the early 90s when uh, people were dying, the rates of, of death in our community were high, uh, and dealing, dealing and doing this through a process of grief. Like this is happening during grief. So when people talk about COVID-19 pandemic, we really got to talk about the pandemic of, you know, the, the, of HIV and particularly of HIV in a, in a racist and colonial society and what African, and I would, I would add indigenous people and other racialized folks, because there, there was a whole ASO community of racialized folks did to actually create leadership. Leadership wasn't given to them. It was, it was demanded, fought for, and established through through acts of resistance on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like when you when you speak about um, the formal informal types of leadership 
that has happened within the movement and and you give um you talk about these different organizations uh within the community that are serving black community um you know i i think about um ohas you know ohas and um that that services um urban indigenous people um across ontario but but I, I think about that history of it coming into being because, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for instance, it was initially that the, the, those programs were supposed to be uh, part of other political or NGOs within the province. Right. They were supposed to be a program housed out of these other entities. And at that time, um, you know, Laverne Monette um, changed that. She changed that. She break. She broke ground, and um, you know, uh, it's just it, it's so needed. You know, she didn't want it to be an add-on. It needed to be its own entity 100%. for visibility. You know, and she did that way back when, right? Yeah, and. Um, and, and so I think about those formal types of leadership. And yet, um, I also think about how um, she also always did these informal types. It was both, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and um, when we think about, you know, who, it, who is um, doing that decolonial work that you talk about, you know, and, and we've had these conversations, like it's, it's two spirit people, it's, it's indigenous women, it's gay men, it's lesbian women, it's trans people, like from our communities. And we've been talking so much about white supremacy and how that is connected to colonization. And when you look at like, who bears the brunt of, of, of that violence. And yet these are the people that are doing the work that we all need to be doing. Um, they they have held on to these knowledges and doing this work and and have been showing us like how to rebuild. You know, um, yeah. And that in itself is revolutionary. You know, absolutely. When we, I, I think when when we look at our you know when we look at the Black um, HIV movement or African identified. HIV movement, it was not only that that folks were fighting for to live because it was a life and death situation as it as it always is with our communities, but they were fighting within the the you know HIV sector. I mean, in terms of you know against anti-black racism, right, mm-hmm. and anti-indigenous racism, uh, yes. racism, and in our own communities, fighting against HIV stigma within black yeah. communities, right, for representation and to be included. I mean, you know to to have the, the the small amount of black agencies represent and support black people who are living with HIV. So there, I mean, that that struggle was was real, right? And it wasn't something that anybody, um, you know, people people are living and and dying with HIV. Um, to actually have to do that work, it's, I mean, we say that you know, oh well, great, you know, you know, folks are strong, but you shouldn't have to be that strong, right? But Absolutely. but it was that out of that necessity and out of that of the way I look at it, like thinking about themselves and generations to come, right? Making, breaking and making these spaces um, available for folks and making people 
you know, step up. Like there was, there were so many discussions, debates, arguments about, you know, um, how to how to include black people living with HIV within black agencies, other black agencies. And even today, there's still there's still these these arguments and this dissent. There's there's a lot of work that has been done, but you know, the the notion is that these are all these are all we're all from the same community, you know, mm -hmm. and anti-black racism and colonization has to do with uh, HIV, which is a chronic health illness. And if we don't yeah. like diabetes, like other other um, you know cancer, we know that black people disproportionately are are experiencing harm based on you know, our chronic illnesses based on these systems that violate us. And our own people had to to learn how to destigmatize, and we're still learning how to destigmatize our notions of what HIV and black means. And the leadership within uh, the HIV black movement community is the one that really took the brunt and also did the resistance centered work, you know, and there was, and yeah. there was folks coming from different places and spaces, different classes, different regions of, you know, uh, Africa and the diaspora. It was a, a whole, um, whole bunch of difference coming together and trying to create um, a, a unified stance to deal and to deal with and support people living with HIV and uh, resisting anti-Black racism, because it's mm -hmm. not separate for us. It's all together, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And that is like, that is the brilliance like of these activists, yeah. because um, like folks from our communities that have done leadership work in these movements, yeah. um, they really challenged the way knowledge production was being put out there, totally. you know, on a big scale, because they, they inherently like took this intersectional approach where yeah. they were able to look at how colonization is a determinant of health for our communities right and how power is connected to like this overrepresentation of hiv within our communities yeah. and then therefore like you need these um social justice approaches as well Right. Um, to to challenge all of those kind kinds of isms, right? And then also the other thing you reminded me of too is like the the very real harms that um, like in our communities, people that have under other genders, other orientations, yeah. um, the 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 discrimination they face within our communities yeah. because there's a lot of stories where um, people have had to leave our communities and go to urban centers, you know, and, and then to carry out this work. Um, yeah, it's, and, and that's the grief work. There's, I mean, within the, you know, the black community, there was a lot of folks who left, um, home countries, right. To come to Canada for different purposes, refugee, refugee status, um, refugee issues, or, you know, um, humanitarian issues, issues of, um, sexual orientation and gender identity. So in terms of being queer, trans, uh, lesbian, um, gay. Um, and a lot of the, the issues though, a lot of in terms of why people were also coming, they linked to colonial reasons. And, you know, if we look at the, how colonization in, in particularly for black folks in, in the Af African continent and the diaspora, how that has impacted 
right? Notions of sexual orientation, um, yeah, issues of poverty. There's a, a direct connection, you know, to colonialism and anti-Black racism. So when folks came to, you know, came to Canada, or, and there's also generations of, of African folks who've been in Canada for, you know, many, many years, or been in Turtle Island, but it was kind of like everything, you know, was the, it was like the, almost like the melting pot, but it wasn't the melting pot, right? It was, to me, I, I like to say, as I said before, a big stew. And there was a lot of, lot of um, discussions and, and uh, you know, pain that needed to be discussed. And, and to be, I would say, like, people have to be in some ways, there's also like a decolonization process, right, for folks. Um, some people were using the words of, you know, uh, HIV, the HIV movement for Black folks is about, you know, anti-oppression is about decolonization. Some other folks were like, no, we have to just get resources. We can't, we're in this country. We need to appreciate right. what we were here because, you know, we didn't get that back home. There was a lot of different discussions. I don't want to make it like it was this kind of, you know, romantic, one yeah, yeah, one thing. I think it was a whole bunch of different things, but it really was about struggle, you know, during a time when um, uh, people were, on were attacked. You know, the media, which still attacks our communities today, was, um, you know, want to talk about HIV stigma, talk about the media, talk about hospitals, you know, going into hospitals and having Black folks, um, their records being, you know, being spoke out loud and, and their, their HIV status being spoke out and then being treated, you know, with, with gloves and other things. This is before COVID-19. I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about within, you know, um, getting an HIV diagnosis and pure anti-Black racism and violence experience. experience. So we had to come together in different ways because of what was happening and the anti-Black racism and the violence that was happening in our community. And leadership also came from places and spaces where people might not have even thought of. You folks who were living their, you know, their life and then were diagnosed with HIV or had a family member diagnosed with HIV and then came into a community, right? And, and the community, um, because of lack of resources and because of experience of violence, then became advocates and activists. And you know, there's folks who will say, I, I was I was never meant to be an activist or advocate. I was just trying to fight for my life or fight for my sister's life yeah. or fight for my partner's life. You know what I mean? Yes. And and then ended up doing like some amazing work. And I also want to say that that the you know the French speaking um, black community also had a lot of leaders in terms of HIV and 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 also a lot of like um, folks who speak different languages, um, you know, beautiful, our beautiful African dialects, who also did a lot of work within within the Canadian context. So it really is, when we think of, of, of leadership in terms of uh, HIV movement, it really is uh, many different people doing many different acts of resistance and act and taking risk, right? Taking the risk to actually make a change for other people who are uh, might not have been able to speak up or for themselves or for their, for their community members. And I think that we look at that um, this is before, you know, um, a lot of the movements now, the Black Black um, Life Matters uh, movements. Um, and to me, and I look at the leadership in the in HIV, and I look at resistance, which we're going to be moving into. This is about resistance. Like our leadership grew out of resistance, and that you know, the 400 years of resistance that we as African people um, have had to had to undertake. It's not that we, you know, want to necessarily, but we have to based on the violence we've experienced. And, and that's a pretty powerful place to be. Um, but there's also a lot of grief of having to, to work so hard to, to lead and to, to find resources when other folks you know, did not value our lives and even mm -hmm. today don't value our lives. Yeah, like when you talk about um, many different people, many different nations of people coming yes. together, yeah. like yeah. that is definitely like mirroring to, to like our nations of people as well. So, you know, you, you look at like how, um, 
the leadership um, worked at like revitalizing inter-Indigenous alliances globally. You know, like how they, because you're working across these like colonial state borders and, mm -hmm. and coming together to elevate, like even, um, you know, sitting down and coming up with the term two spirit and, and, and what, and, and why that was important, right? Uh, coming across differences, but looking at like the, the similarities. And so this revitalization of, um, like inter-Indigenous alliances that is taking place globally um, is, is also really important. And um, man, like I, I just, I think about um, the impacts of colonization and I know we've talked about it before, but I'm gonna go back to it yeah. and circle back to like the, the weaponization of the heterosexual monogamous relationship 100%. that has been used to uh, colonize indigenous people, our minds, our relationships. And, and so that gender fluidity is like so essential to decolonial work. 100%. It's, it's, it's so central. And, and so, you know, holding on to this gender fluidity and these very important roles and knowledges um, has, has been, um, always a part of the movement. And so for me, um, being able to um, be part of that movement for a while was like me too. It was such a fit yes. with my politics, with yeah. the intersectional approaches yeah. and um, just being able to build those relationships and learn so much, you know? Um, yeah. I think it's so, it's so important what you're saying. Um, you know, the even we look at we're looking at particularly the, the black trans community and black queer community and challenging um, heteronormativity and doing so by, you know, in terms of HIV, particularly um, as the numbers with, you know, it, it changed from gay, mainly gay black men to, you know, to a higher number of um, straight identified um, black women, you know, who mm -hmm. were getting HIV. Um, Same with us, like with right? indigenous women, yeah. Yeah, and then to see, I mean, that alone in terms of communities coming together, you know, um, mainly straight identified communities, black gay men, trans black uh, communities, black queer women or lesbian identified women, and coming together and, you know, fighting against um, HIV stigma, anti-black racism, and all of these other types of international violence was the continuation of, of, of a movement, right, that we see today when we see uh, the establishment of kind of an intersectional um, uh, Black Life Matters movement, which is mainly, you know, um, was started by Black uh, lesbian identified women and Black gay men and Black trans, uh, trans uh, uh, community members. So we can see that within the HIV sector, this is something that has, that, that started from, you know, earlier on. And we can, I mean, you can go even go back to the civil rights movement. You can even go back to the, you know, the early uh, movements in terms of emancipation or, or um, against uh, enslavement. So there is a history there or a history, but it's not necessarily known to mainstream mm. culture, right? To mainstream paces. I do have to also say that, you know, there there has been within the history of Toronto, there was. I, I remember going to meetings, um, you know, in the in, in particularly HIV research and HIV different events and the and there was there was there was a lot of conversations about how how do we take up space you know how do we take up mm -hmm. space and and there was and there's so many different ways that people 
like kind of thought about doing that. And um, it wasn't, you know, uh, talking about, uh, as, I, as I said earlier, talking about decolonization and um, anti-oppression and anti-Black racism was a risk. It was a risk to do so in a community that was not given resources and that were, you know, uh, struggling with, as I said, the grief and the other other um, impacts. Yet it was something that we had to do. It was something that needed to be done. And I think I look back and I think that made such a big difference um, when we look at 2022. You know what's happening in 2022. Not that there's not things happening because there is. You know, there's a lot of things happening. But even within the pandemic and uh, you know folks living with HIV in, in COVID-19 pandemic, this recent one. Um, and all the other pandemics that you know that go in terms of racism and colonization, there was also uh, folks who were impacted by COVID nineteen, but still other folks supported folks. You know, in terms of either supporting them getting a position or supporting them. Sometimes it was bringing food if somebody was feeling sick, and you know there was there's there's, there's, there's these stories in the community of people still supporting each other. So it's 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 a it's an it's an amazing um, it's amazing it's an amazing reality that we continue to resist but we should not have to resist um as hard as we do and, mm -hmm. and you know and this is bringing it back to 2022 um we are still uh fighting for not only representation but for resources and for you know wellness and healing that that looks like us for us by us within the um within not only within the hiv community but within all of our communities in terms of uh, black health and African identified health. And that's a problem. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing that um, I didn't mention was, so when we talk about struggle, you yeah. know, and, and, and the very real struggle of that, of, of what these folks were dealing with, continue to deal with, like as they are doing this work, this important work, um, it, it's it's a lot, right? Like it's a lot to carry, mm -hmm. um, and and doing it because it's necessary for you to live with dignity, right? Yeah. Um, and and having to 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 ensure that and push back against so many things. Um, one of the things that I have um, seen is, you know like the, this very real struggle in linking HIV to, to structures of power and domination and, yeah. and colonization, ongoing dispossession. And um, at the same time, like carrying out research um, on, on their own terms and like what health means to them. I think about that, you know, like, and, and how there needs to be more of that um, and how, how doing that work, doing that research um, provides like opportunities for, for the rest of us to follow, you 100%. know, rather than uh, looking at it from this deficit narrative perspective, you know, so um, that also is um, really important definitely i mean yeah. we we do have some um upcoming and amazing black scholars who are living with hiv and doing some amazing research um however the you know it we look at, if we look at the hiv research um community it's, it's mainly white and mainly male male uh, 
we could say it's even gay white men, and the struggle to do research, um, you know, that really follows um, JIPA, MIPA, and um, decolonizing like processes is still a struggle in the HIV uh, research community. It's still being done um, in many ways through you know white supremacist lens. People would say, well, no, we included, we had one. One 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 sample of black folks in in it, but it's you know as peer re researchers and they were paid less and they didn't have the, the same power or the you know their their voices were not there at the conferences or they were there in the pictures but not there you know to speak about their experiences and to actually to actually be a part of the research process in a particular way. So there's a lot of black folks in research, um, but what you know what the the power that they have um, is questionable and even folks who have you know, who have um, research backgrounds. Um, white researchers are even, have been even given more, um, you know, privileges even within researching black bodies, right? Which is a problem. So, yeah. right, and it's, and it's, and that has to do with the leadership within the HIV community. Like, you know, that, that the, the, the leadership uh, is not a leadership that reflects, is reflected by, you know, black and indigenous peoples. We have black and indigenous leaders. Yes, we do. But the leadership in the in HIV community overall does not reflect our needs. Yes, and 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 I would say I would add to that, and 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 yet like just like how we always done, we have always carved out spaces 100%. to lead, and and that's the research part that I'm talking about. Hundred percent. I, I can tell you for my own my own self. I I wanted to do um, research on. Um, disclosure and um, the impact of disclosure and anti-black racism on you know african and black people living in in, in, in uh, canada and i i had so much roadblocks to do this research as a mm -hmm. as a as a black feminist you know decolonizing person i did it because you know we we figure it out when we do it i didn't get as much exposure you know in terms of my my research which talked about the colonization we talked about the impact of anti-black racism and and uh, on disclosure in terms of the, you know, what, what was happening in terms of uh, disclosure in the, in the black communities, but that I, I wasn't able to get the same um, amount of support uh, within the H within HIV sector. And actually, I would even say with even with some black folks within the community too, the folks who actually supported the research were black uh, women and men living with HIV. Those are the folks who were who were supporting the research, yeah. and the research was was mainly about them and also um, practitioners. So I, I say that example um, to say yes, it wasn't supposed to be done, but it still was done, right? Um, yes. And that's a, another example of us constantly doing this kind of resistance work and having to do it um, do it in ways that sometimes you know other folks might be like, how is this thing being done or why is it being done? But it's still being done. And that's come from a history and history of doing resistance, right? And understanding and centering Indigenous and Black people in resistance, um, I think, is we live in resistance 24 7, 365, over 400 years uh, of, of resistance. And we're going to continue to do that because we have to, not only for survival, but also for our thrival, right? We have to be able to thrive. Uh, the, it's an ancestor ancestral thing also like I just think I am responsible and accountable for my ancestors I'm accountable for my my community beside me in front of me behind me the ones that haven't come the young ones the old ones you know um, it's such an important um, it's a humbling feeling sometimes a challenging feeling that you know when you feel um, this accountability but accountability makes us continue to to shout against 
um, all forms of uh, anti-Black racism, you know, heterosexism, um, ableism, and all of the other types of violence uh, that we that we live we live with as Black mm -hmm. folks in, in this community. Yeah, and and so when you talk about like these different groups that have come together, like within our communities that are not because because we are diverse and there's not like this monolithic narrative, right? Yeah. Um, when you think about like women and two spirit and gay and trans and lesbians coming together to do this work, um, I think about that like being in resistance to uh, heteropatriarchy. Hundred percent, right? Being in resistance yeah. to heteropatriarchy, and then um, even uh, this approach of talking about like anti-black, anti-indigenous racisms together, it's kind of also still continuing to build on that movement. Hundred percent, um, like to uh push against white supremacy you know it's that's yeah, standing in solidarity right that's what that's standing right. in solidarity means right yes so. and and so like without these leaders that have always done this work informally and formally um you know it it just would not be possible without them carrying and embodying that knowledge yeah, yeah. so yeah jeez slots <laughs> I think we can like I think it goes right into like um, when we talk about standing in solidarity, you know, as African indigenous people. Um, I think that that it's 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 such an important. I mean, important is not the word. You know, English English is not my real language, right? So you know that <laughs> my indigenous tongue was taken away. So I, I speak in my heart and head my indigenous languages, but unfortunately, I'm not able to speak with them. Um, but uh, it's such a it's a healing piece, like. Indigenous and African people coming together um, to dismantle HIV stigma and to also dismantle, you know, uh, anti-Black racism and anti-Indigenous racism is revolutionary. And it's something that we've always have done, but it's been, it's hidden within the within mainstream culture. And even sometimes within our own, our own communities, it's like, well, no, we, I don't know any Black people. I don't know any, really? If you look back in history and history, there's all, we've always been, you know, uh, connected in different ways. And it's such a powerful um, tool to continue to resist, um, you know, colonization and other uh, forms of oppression by Indigenous and African people uh, getting together and, and fighting against um, all forms of, of, of oppression in our lives. And I think that uh, standing in solidarity does not mean that we don't have disagreements because we have had disagreements in the movement, as you know. Uh, we have disagreements in your family, you know what I'm saying? It, it's about having disagreements and moving on, moving forward, moving uh, for, to, towards a goal, right, of dismantling white supremacy and other forms of intersectional violence. It's quite clear, I think, what that goal could be, even though the goal could change in different ways, depending on who we are. But I think that the solidarity, standing in solidarity is respecting what you need to say. You know, listening to you, Jenneraine, and let me let me let me respect what you need to say. You listening to me, respect what I need to say. It doesn't mean that you don't disagree. It doesn't mean that you might say, "Hey, you know, this is this is how I see it." But how do we move forward towards dismantling white supremacy, right? And mm -hmm. how do we how do we support um, our communities to live um, in in in, a, in in towards uh, indigenous and and for me, it's indigenous African wellness mm -hmm. um, and and, and, you know, and, and in healing and healing ourselves by using um, uh, methods and ways of knowing that we, that are good for our soul and our, for our, our bodies, for our systems, you know? 
um, it's kind of the ginger tea, the ginger tea method for every, everything. You know, everything <laughs> is ginger tea. <laughs> I think like for, for like, if you're white, like disrupting, <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. but like I know. people listening to this, like if you are white, uh, disrupting white supremacy is, it might feel like it hurts you, you know? Oh yeah. It, it might feel like it hurts you. And, um, oh, gosh. And, I, and I'm saying it might feel like it hurts you right. because, um, you know, it, 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 yeah. So I think that, um, one of the important things of standing in solidarity is, um, not expecting uh, Black and Indigenous communities to take care of your feelings as you're moving through all of that discomfort. Can you say and it again? Can you say that again? No, you okay. need to say that again. Sorry. Say it again, please. Uh, not <laughs> expecting Indigenous and Black uh, people to take care of your feelings um, as you're moving through all that discomfort. And I think recognizing that that discomfort is part of your learning process of disrupting white supremacy within yourself. Asheo, yes, you know? say it, sister, because that discomfort uh, that you are experiencing for you know five minutes or ten minutes, we experience discomfort, pain, violence on a daily basis. And, and you have, and to me, you have to, as a uh, white identified person or a non-indigenous, non-black person, you have to understand that to actually really do solidarity work. Allyship work is about you figuring out what you need to do to not harm our communities. Um, it's about being in solidarity is about um, doing work in your communities to support, uh, you know, uh, dismantling anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism. But I think the, sometimes what happens is, is that the empathy is put on, you know, the white folks who are learning and unlearning and the empathy, there's not empathy for the, the, the you know, Black and Indigenous communities that are suffering and moving yes, forward. And an that is white supremacy. There's an expectation to be uh, grateful. 100%. That these white folks are, are trying to take up this work and unlearn things. And, and that just really needs to, it needs to stop. It needs to stop. You it know? stops here. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to stop. And, um, and then I think as, Indigenous and Black folks, like, we also need to make sure that we're not taking on more than we need to with like, yeah. with white fragility and white supremacy and all of that stuff, right? And yeah. not, and not, and not cutting. I mean, that's such a, it's such an important, I just want to, I want to emphasize what you just said, because it's, it's not taking care of, of folks. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, we're not caring folks because we are, we, we take care too much. That's why we need to change the world, change the script here. We're always taking care of white people and taking care of other folks. We have to take care of our own, our own in terms of, of, of um, trying to deal with the, the, the harm and the healing and the wellness and the resistance that we need to do. But there's, I also want to say that there's also folks in our communities who will take care of white folks on the back of black folks. And what I mean by that is like in, in a meeting, you know, um, somebody will, a white person will say, I, I can't handle this. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And, you know, another black person will, will step up or indigenous person will step up and be supportive to that person 
while not while not necessarily always being supportive to that black person who's, who's been struggling or who dealt with anti-black racism or anti-indigenous racism and that's internalized white supremacy and we got to challenge that also when we're talking about resistance and allyship how our allyship our allyship should not bruise and hurt other people from our communities right i'm not saying we don't have disagreements but we shouldn't do that on, on the, the guise of you know supporting and understanding and educating white folks and leaving our own community members hurt and and not not being able to take care of them and to soothe etc so i think we really need to challenge our notions of healing collectively how do we heal within our own communities how do we have solidarity how do we uh, do wellness amongst ourselves um you know uh, first that has to be something first and other folks then you know can come into the mix in terms of how do you stand in solidarity how do we you how do you how do you support each other but we got to look at our own healing and our transgenerational trauma and experiences of violence um, to be able to do this work i think in a different way um right. yeah and yeah. and you know like we we've, we've also had conversations about um why we prefer the term standing in solidarity yeah. versus the term allyship and 100%. you know like I've, I've always struggled with the term allyship because like how it was introduced to me was had these like if you're not critical of it it has these notions of like white savior yeah, and, and it's about like what can i do when i feel sorry or guilty for um communities that are marginalized and it fails to recognize a lot of times and this depends on context again and how it's being used 100 um it, it fails to recognize sometimes it runs the risk of being of failing to recognize that our communities have a lot to offer and not in a colonial context where it's like a sense of entitlement 100%. and extraction but like so many strengths and knowledges that we've touched on already when we're talking about the leadership within the movement from our communities right 100%. Um, and and so for me like allyship sometimes gets used in very problematic ways um, that recenters um these structures of domination and then it becomes like an identity that's not action based 100 and 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 so i really um i i prefer the whole standing in solidarity you know and 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 getting curious about what does that look like how do i do that i you know? I, to I totally think I, I i agree with you i think allyship has been um almost used as a an excuse to not have to do the work um sometimes i have used when people are because people the word allyship is really very popular and it's been used and I, I think that there are some people there are some people within uh the allyship allyship movement i'm calling it who um you know are actively are actively trying so there are some active allies and active allies mean you be accountable you're, you're responsible but it always has to be moving in solidarity with movements that you're trying to to you know to be um uh to to, to do the work with right so i think that uh when allies are directing movements when they're directing um, you know what is needed for our communities then that's not solidarity that's 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 power over right and it, and that's a that's a continuation of what a lot of quote-unquote allies are used to based on and if their, you're who leading they are. it if you're leading it and you're not <laughs> from the community like that is not allyship 
that is not standing in solidarity. 100%. Right. So that, that, and people tend to get some, you know, get angry. There's, there's folks who get angry when you, you talk about their, you know, how their allyship might be impacting or affecting you, but you got to remember you're doing allyship for indigenous and black community members, right. And black communities. And you need to also, um, be accountable and responsible for your actions, right? So when you're feeling white guilt and other other you know non-indigenous and non-black guilt, um, that action should be then what how you act should be accountability. How you deal with white guilt is accountability. How Which do you is deal the next steps, right? Yes, right. Which is the next steps. That's that's how you deal with it. And how you how you go into your own communities. I mean, there's there's a you're, you know your community's got a lot to work with. In terms of dismantling, you know, um, anti-indigenous racism, anti-black racism colonization, go into your own communities and do that work, right? And we're always, yeah. I mean, black and indigenous people, we have been standing in solidarity uh, it, sometimes when we didn't even want to, right? To try to move through the experiences of violence we've had. So we're always doing that work, but y'all have to do the work and stop asking us what to do. Stop asking us what to do. I mean, yeah. And, 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 <laughs> And, and so standing in solidarity, it's like, I, I noticed sometimes like um, white folks could be not only white folks, but like oh. people that are not from the community, yeah. Yeah. from your community, right? Yeah. My community, yeah. folks might be like, well, I don't want to talk over you. I don't want to yes. speak for you, which is like really great to be cautious about. And I can understand how it can start to become confusing. And, you know, what I would suggest is that like when you witness these violences happening um, in a discussion, like wherever you witness it, right? right? That that needs to unsettle you where you take responsibility yeah. to stop it as well. Like yeah. don't just leave it up to, to the indigenous person in the room to speak back to yeah. colonialism or white supremacy or like heteronormativity, like all these things, like step up and disrupt it too. 100%. Don't, don't speak over and you don't even need to wait for someone to say something. Yeah. Like you can take that responsibility, right? Yeah. And that's the part about standing in solidarity um, and putting it into action. Like 100%. rather than coming to us later and being like, hey, I didn't like that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the the underground, the underground outside of the meeting conversation, um, you know, about what they would have done and could have done if they had another chance to do. I always say to people, yes, what you didn't do, couldn't do, shouldn't have done, go back, either apologize, do different, act differently. It takes a second to do that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you can you can make that change. We people make mistakes. That's cool. But your some some mistakes are life and death mistakes for our community. So make sure that your mistake you go you go do something about it. That's that's acting in solidarity. You know, yeah, so figure it very, out. Yeah, like how like being very purposeful, right? To um, be action oriented, and um, and and be decolonial and anti racist every day. Like, yeah, not only so, on Fridays. <laughs> every day 100 you know? and and so th those are those really are the next steps and i and i think that it's important to highlight that it's a journey like and it's every day all it's every the time day. every day it's when you go into the store and you see 
you know, a young um, or, or old, you know, um, uh, indigenous or black person being treated wrongly, how do you respond? When you're in a doctor's office and you, you hear somebody, you know, um, their, I don't know, their, their information being talked out loud and they're getting, they're responding in a particular way or in a drugstore, like I was the other day and somebody was talking about, they're getting their um, uh, HIV meds and the, the pharmacist was, uh, you know, responding to them very, very ridiculously based on uh, a situation with um, their, their health card. How do you respond? What do you do? How do you support the person respectfully? And how do you actually talk back to the people who are actually being, being um, violent? How do you do that? How do you have empathy? How do you show it? I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to teach you it. Something that you need to understand about you know, having in, um, empathy for indigenous and African communities. The next step is how you decolonize yourself. How do you continue to be in solidarity? How do you actually do work and challenge challenge uh, folks who need to be challenged who are creating violence within our communities. For our own communities, I think uh, there's a lot of healing work and grief work that needs to be done and unpacking and also celebration, celebration mm -hmm. of who we are and how fierce we are to be living, surviving and thriving within, within this world. We That's are, right, we're like here. centering the black and indigenous excellence. Hello. Right? We need to, be we need to celebrate ourselves. We need to, to be gifted. We need to remember you know, I, I, I think about it, even as I see you right now, as you know, you know in both of our um, traditions, and there's so many different African indigenous traditions, uh, we, we do circles, you know, we, we, we are circle people, we, we, we meet and, and exchange and, and celebrate, we dance, we do movement, we do poems, we're oral or orators, right, where we, we tell stories, we need to remember to do this within our communities, I mean, I think we still do, but we're not, we're not always together within, you know, what's happening, even with COVID and the different pieces, but we have to remember that we have to also celebrate our lives and, and our resistance and our next steps. You know, I, I, I think we're very spiritual people. People have different spiritual um, practices. And I think that um, that's an important uh, piece within our, in our lives too. And challenge and challenging the colonial practices of our, our spiritual connections and moving forward to really honoring and healing ourselves in, um, in many different ways. Yeah, so like challenging the stigma of HIV for Black and Indigenous communities um, has to be linked to white supremacy and colonialism. And if, and we need to be having those conversations in our organizations. Yeah, I want to add something to that, because I don't know where if we spoke about it, we might have in the in the in the you know, the, the times that we spoke together, but I also want to challenge the notion that Black and Indigenous people are more homophobic or more HIV, uh, uh, are more, uh, they stigmatize, you know, people for HIV more than other folks. I really want to, I really want to challenge that because that in itself is also a very white supremacist notion. I'll tell you why too, but I think, um, I think that we have to remember that HIV stigma, homophobia, transphobia, uh, misogyny, all of these different types of violence come from colonial systems, come from colonization, from colonial yeah. violence, yeah. right? Which we have been forced to live with, right? Violated. Our systems, our traditional systems have been violated. They're still there, but they're, they've been violated. And yet, and we have, you know, internalized and had to move through systems of colonization. So is there HIV stigma in our communities? Yes, there is. Like every other community. Is, is there homophobia and heterosexism and transphobia? Yes, there is. 
like every community. But when we ourselves are saying that we Black and Indigenous people are more so than other folks, we need to watch out where that comes from and who's given that, who's given that to us, because that's actually not true. What we need to do is dismantle colonialism, dismantle you know, misogyny, heterosexism, homophobia, transphobia, all of these different types of violence, anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism. But we have to be very careful that we're not using the master's tools to do so. Audrey Lord, right? That we mm -hmm. have to use our Indigenous I love way. Audrey Lord. yes. Hello, uh, you know, African sister from Grenada, um, uh, three of the Amer America. So we really have to, to watch out of how we also, um, how do we, our movements become um, entangled or destroyed or interrupted, right? We are, we're looking at our movements in terms of emancipation for African indigenous peoples. We, we, we will struggle. Yes, we'll have to deal with, you know, the, 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 the real realities of, of violence within our communities. But we also have to move through that in a, in a gentle way, in a fierce way, and a way that actually uh, looks at, at the, the possibilities of healing and wellness within our communities. And I think the HIV community is a, is a wonderful example of unity amongst peoples, even with the challenges and the difficulties in our communities. There's also that, that history and history of, of, of revolutionary uh, fervor, revolutionary change. As we close, I'd like to send special thanks to those who have continued to support this project behind the scenes and to the Ontario AIDS Network, who invited me to join and lend a small hand to this effort. I thank you immensely. To those of you who are listening and who will not only stand in solidarity, but do the work that is necessary, I say, welcome to the conversation. Welcome to the work.